ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the gun rack, Sonoran Desert Institute School of Firearms Technologies official podcast. I am Drew Poplin with you here today or Perhaps I should say tonight, I'm recording this late Thursday night. Uh, why, you may ask? Well, there's a couple different reasons. The first being, and probably the most important, is that SDI's office is actually closed tomorrow on Friday as we observe Veterans Day. Um, and of course, we on the gun rack just want to thank all of our veterans that have, have so willfully gone and served and protected the freedoms and values that we hold dear as Americans. We appreciate it so much. And uh, it's a debt that is hard to pay back. Uh, so, yeah, we want to thank all of our veterans out there. And we hope you have a good Saturday coming up. Second reason was that my beloved Carolina Panthers... <laughs> just played one of the worst Thursday night football games I've ever seen. You know, it's something when I feel bad for a multi-billion dollar company like Amazon. I feel because I feel like they got ripped off. Like, I don't know how much they paid to you know, be able to get the rights to show this Thursday night football game, but uh, they might be owed reparations because that was awful to watch. So I needed something. So I said to myself, well, I could either wake up in the morning early and uh, try to record this episode, or I could record it now and uh, talk about something uh, that brings me a lot more joy than the Carolina Panthers, and that is military history. And um, so I went with the obvious choice, and we are here now talking about Francis Marion that's right, we're continuing our Southern Battles of the American Revolution series, and we are talking about the Swamp Fox today, or once again tonight, I should say. Went ahead, told my wife, go to bed, I'm going to be up kind of late, so this is a special late hour Gunwreck episode. Uh, how nice, how nice. Speaking of my wife, it's pretty wild for me to think that this time last year, I was only days away from marrying the love of my life and um the year has flown by quick it's been wonderful and uh, we're very excited about what the future holds so we're gonna have some fun today talking about the swamp fox and uh just some more military history as we continue the series before we get into that i just want to talk about sonoran desert institute for one second sonoran desert institute aka SDI, is an online school that helps students learn the skills and techniques they'll need to be successful in the firearms and the unmanned technology industries. SDI is accredited by the Distance Education Accrediting Commission, called the DEAC, and currently we offer two programs in firearms technology. We are offering the Associate of Science in Firearms Technology, 
associate's degree, and then we are also offering the certificate in firearms technology gunsmithing. Now, if you want more info about these two incredible programs, encourage you go to our website. It's www.sdi.edu for more information. Now, let's go ahead and get into Francis Marion. Uh, real quick, just want to shout out some of the sources I used. There's an article on thoughtco.com, amrevmuseum.org, battlefields.org, departments.fmarion.edu. Had some good information. Uh, got a shout out badassofthweek.com. Apparently, that is now a successful podcast. Um, now, if you like sort of this edutainment style that we do at the gun rack, maybe a little bit more vulgar given what the name is i uh i'd encourage you to check them out it's pretty funny stuff and uh you do learn while you laugh and that's always pretty cool uh the smithsonian magazine and the tales of valor podcast which is another exceptional podcast uh definitely recommend you check those sources out uh, oh and finally i mentioned amrevmuseum.org uh, more specifically, it's an excerpt from the book The Swamp Fox, How Francis Marion Saved the American Revolution by John Aller. Um, definitely fascinating. It had a um, has an excerpt from the book. It deals a lot with Francis Marion's early November 1780, which we will be talking about, but uh, goes a lot more in depth. And uh, it was excellent getting to do that. So. Who is Francis Marion? Well, let's start with, you know, with his birth. He was born around, yes, I said around, 1732 in Berkeley County, South Carolina. So he's a South Carolina native. His father was a French Huguenot who came to America to escape religious persecution. The Huguenots, basically, they were French Protestants. Uh, they held to more of a Reformed or Calvinist uh, tradition of Protestantism. So. When he was born, when Francis was born, he was born with malformed legs. And he was so tiny that apparently you might mistake him for a lobster. Uh, and that is, <laughs> that's essentially a quote. And uh, so there's no word on whether the person describing this was on any sort of medication at the time, but one can only assume how you mistake a lobster for a human child. But I digress. At age six, Francis Marion moved to the county over to a plantation in St. George, South Carolina. Fast forward about nine years, and at age 15, he decided that he was going to become a sailor. He was going to sail the open seas, uh, live that adventurous life. And his parents actually thought this was a fantastic idea. They hoped that by becoming a sailor, getting out there uh, with the fresh ocean air, that it would actually be beneficial to his health uh, and then also his stature. Not necessarily his physical stature, but you know, more of his social stature. So he joined the crew of a schooner, and they set off for the Caribbean. Uh, so he's already off to an awesome start. That sounds like an incredible time. However, uh, this awesome start would not last, as on the return trip to home, their boat got rammed by a freaking whale. Luckily, most everyone was able to escape to a rudderless lifeboat. The crew would have to survive on this lifeboat with you know that had no rudder. They had to survive the next five days without food. 
after seven days at sea, they make it back home. And apparently Francis decided that was enough. Uh, he wanted to stay on land. So he decided to take up farming uh, while also taking care of his aging mother and father. Unfortunately, his father would pass away not long after his return. So let's fast forward now to May of 1754. The French and Indian War kicked off, which maybe that's a series we could do after we finish this uh, Southern Battles of the American Revolution, because we talked a little bit about it on our on our Fort Chitswill episode. But um, yeah, that's one of those conflicts, along with the War of 1812, that uh, is a bit of a blind spot for me. So I'd love an excuse to <laughs> learn more about that. But anyway. May of 1754, the French and Indian War kicked off, and after a couple years of the conflict going on, Francis and his brother Gabriel decided they wanted to join the fight. Being in South Carolina, where they were positioned at, their opponents, uh, who they'd be facing off against, were the Cherokee. Cherokee were fierce warriors, uh, and so the combat that ensued was uh, very, very brutal. In one notable instance, though, Francis and about 30 of his men were out scouting when they were ambushed uh, by a, a group of Cherokee. But despite the chaos and you know men falling and dying all around him, he actually managed to keep going forward until he eventually made it through the passage. Robert Bass, who is a prominent historian of Francis Marion's life, he said, quote, as a veteran who had shown great courage under fire, he was now courted a position of respect and leadership along the Santee, unquote. The Santee is a river in South Carolina, by the way. This event would eventually lead to his election as a member of a provincial congress in South Carolina. But so eventually the Cherokee were pushed back. The war ended. But it was this experience fighting with the Cherokee that undoubtedly uh, Francis would consider and kind of mold when he would fight the British in the Revolutionary War. We talked a little bit about how the over-mountain men adopted tactics used by the Native Americans during the French and Indian War and then like the frontier skirmishes to defeat the British at Black Mountain. Well, Francis Marion would take that to a different level. So Marion would end up going back home to continue his life as a planter after the war. But in 1773, he purchased a plantation on the Santee and, as I mentioned before, was elected to a position in politics. But only a couple of years later, we have the Battle of Lexington and Concord. The, the Provincial Congress of South Carolina, they decided that they needed to create three regiments to prepare for any British attacks. And on June 4th, 1775, the now Captain Francis Marion swore an oath to defend South Carolina an oath he would most certainly fulfill. So what was his first task? Well, he was sent to Dorchester to defend a depot that was full of public records and gunpowder. Um, <laughs> this would not last long because his men, essentially, they got sick and bored. I mean, literally, they suffered illnesses and were bored with guard duty. So they, they deserted. They just left. So without any men, Francis got reassigned to build a fort on Sullivan's Island. It was there that he would go on to get promoted to major and then 
eventually lieutenant colonel. Uh, I think those promotions happened within the same year, if I'm not mistaken. Soon in June of 1776, Fort Sullivan would come under attack. Uh, now, Francis, he was in charge of the left side of the fort, and this is where all the massive cannons for the fort were. Luckily, they were able to repel the British ships, and as the Brits were leaving, he asked his commanding officer, one Colonel Moultrie, for permission to fire just one more shot. The colonel basically was like, yeah, sure, why not give him, uh, I think he said, one last kick. So... Marion got the biggest cannon they had, fired once, and apparently that cannonball ripped through the flagships. So um, his military career has already been off to a pretty decent start, minus everything in Dorchester. Now, fast forward to 1779 to Savannah, Georgia, and he was part of the effort to lay siege on Savannah, Georgia to take the city back from the British. That did not go so well, so he and his men went back to Charleston, South Carolina. Now, this is a um, this is like a weird and quirky story. Um, I had to include it when I read it because it's really funny to me. So, in March of 1780, which 1780 should be a very it should ring some bells for a lot of you guys. It's a very notable year in the series we've done on the gun rack. But in March of 1780, Marion was in attendance. There was this house party put on by a fellow officer, so he was there. And according to Smithsonian Magazine, there was an 18th century custom. Basically, they would lock all the doors when someone would toast the American cause. I don't know why they did this. Maybe it was like initially for protection and now just kind of something they did. Um, I don't know. But for Francis, there were two problems. One. Francis was not a drinker. He was not a drinking man, so you know he, he didn't really care to participate in the toasting. But um, the second issue was that the toast just kept dragging on and on. People kept toasting the American cause. So I guess he feel, felt anxious or trapped. Not entirely sure, but whatever the case was, he had to get out of this house. Logically, he decided that the best course of action was to go to the second story of the house uh, and jump out a window to escape. Now, I've, I'm have i an introvert, okay? Uh, I don't know if that comes across when I do these episodes, but I am an introvert. So I get, you know, wanting to leave a party, maybe feeling some social anxiety, uh, some awkwardness, and kind of just want to get out of there. Never have I considered jumping out the second story window to escape this party. Um, I always go much higher. Um, but yeah, just so bizarre. But the inevitable happened. He jumped out a second story window and when he landed, Marion, you know, as I mentioned before, he already has the history of malformed legs. Um, Marion broke his ankle on the landing. So, as a result of this, he would have to go into the country to recuperate, so he went back home. And though this was an incredibly odd, quirky story, something you'd probably expect in like a teen movie, like a 90s teen movie, it was something that ended up actually, arguably, altering history. You see, in May of 1780, that's when 
Charleston would fall under siege and be overtaken by the Brits. Now, if Marion had not jumped out this window and broken his ankle, he more than likely would have not ended up going to the country um, and would have remained in Charleston. And if he had remained in Charleston, there's a really good chance that he would have been forced to surrender. And we never would have ended up having the Swamp Fox that we ended up in this timeline. But for this chance accident to have any sort of meaning, Marion would first need to etch his name into history. We've talked about how after Charleston fell, the British rapidly started to take over the rest of South Carolina. And that's not even me mentioning the Battle of Camden right now. So seeing that the state he swore to defend was in dire need of resistance, Marion, who probably was still suffering from his ankle issues, knowing 18th century medicine, he answered the call. He gathered a band of about 50 men and set off to make the life of the Brits a living hell. Uh, Horatio Gates, who was commander at this time, sent Marion and his men along the Santee to attack any British transport that might be using the water for transportation purposes. Of course, you know, we know Gates would soon lose at the Battle of Camden and, you know, no longer in command, you know, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so with only this small group of men, Francis had to be wise about how he and his men attacked the enemy. Taking what he learned from his battles with the Cherokee warriors, he essentially became the father of what we know today to be guerrilla warfare. Residing in the swamps of South Carolina, they would strike hard and fast, and before the enemy knew what was going on, would leave just as quickly. They burned communication stations, they blew up ship depots, they looted supply convoys, and ambushed troop convoys, and they also possessed a real knack for gathering intelligence. So if you combine it all, Francis and his band of men, they became a terror. In some ways, they were more legend, more ghosts than man. At the battles of Black Mingo in September 1780 and the Battle of Tearcoat Swamp a month later, Francis and his troops would see success. Uh, and so they started making a name for themselves in the South Carolina swamps, which was a good and bad thing. While they were able to inspire many to join the Patriot cause, they were also painting a larger target on their back. Uh, big enough target that General Cornwallis wanted him taken care of. Cornwallis was so sick of this Marion fellow that he sent, I mean, do I even have to say the guy's name at this point? He sent Bannister Tarleton to take care of this pest. Funny enough, according to John Aller's book, the one I mentioned is called The Swamp Fox. Tarleton actually had some respect for Marion. To quote a passage, it says, Tarleton rarely, pay Tarleton rarely paid any compliments to his rebel adversaries, but he respected Marion. Later writing that, quote, Mr. Marion, by his zeal and abilities, showed himself capable of the trust committed to his charge, unquote. Still, over the previous six months, Tarleton had thrashed several more senior commanders, Isaac Huger, William Washington, Abraham Buford, and Thomas Sumter. He had no reason to doubt he would do the same to Marion. He welcomed the opportunity to pursue him, and Cornwallis approved the operation, telling Tarleton, quote, I most sincerely hope you will get at Mr. Marion, unquote. 
this is that two, three day period that I was referring to at the very beginning of this episode. From November 5th, 1780 to November 7th, 1780, Tarleton and Marion were basically engaged in this game of cat and mouse. And they both were really wickedly clever in you know, their tactics, just kind of constantly one-upping each other. Uh, Tarleton, to his credit, nearly sucked Marion into a trap. What he did, uh, there was this late general, Richard Richardson, great name, um, and very well-respected by the Patriots uh, and many in the area. Tarleton goes and burns down the late general's house, knowing that Marion would be compelled to go and help. And if Marion had gone to help, he would have been ambushed by two grasshopper cannons, 100 cavalry, and 300 dragoons. Luckily, uh, the son of the late general, Richard Richardson Jr., uh, who put his own life in jeopardy by doing this, uh, so credit to him, he actually managed to inform Marion in time of the trap. So the next day, Tarleton was like, well, why didn't he attack? Uh, that's when he found out that someone had snitched. So Tarleton decided to give it one last good chase, which we all know he enjoys a good chase. He would embark on a seven-hour, 26-mile chase of Marion. However, at the end of the day, Marion's men managed to cover more ground, going 35 miles, eventually escaping completely into the South Carolina swamps. As Tarleton gave up the hunt at Ox Swamp, he uttered the famous words, Oh, come, my boys, let's go back. We'll soon find the Gamecock Thomas Sumter. But as for this damned old fox, the devil himself could not catch him. So this like three day period is absolutely iconic for you know all the crap I talk about Bannister Tarleton. The two squaring off against each other during this time is admittedly highly entertaining, even now. So of of course, yeah, as soon as I give him credit, you know, Tarleton would use the excuse that Cornwallis called him back before he could finish the job. But it should be noted that. This order from Cornwallis came after he had already given up the chase. He also would console himself with the idea that he had neutralized the threat of Marion uh, in any case. However, that was not the case. Marion would not be finished. Within a few days, Francis Marion prepared to make another attack on Georgetown. Uh, there was one previously. This would be the second, and I think within the next year, he would performed two more attacks. I don't know what it was with Georgetown, but um, busy place. Uh, that's for certain. So soon after all this, Nathaniel Green would finally arrive in the area uh, in the South as commander of the Southern Army. Nathaniel Green, who we will talk about here shortly, he would send Francis Marion and Lieutenant Colonel Henry Lee, who, if you remember, fought at Kings Mountain, he was the father of Robert E. Lee. He'd sent Marion and Lee on a couple of missions together. Um, at this point, I believe it was August of 1781, Marion with 50 men would free 150 Continental soldiers that were being held prisoner by around 500 British soldiers. In, I want to say it was September 1781, he was elected to the South Carolina Senate and was still continually fighting. 
He fought in the Battle of Utah Springs, uh, which was the last major battle that occurred in South Carolina. Um, you know, but as the war in the Carolinas was nearing its conclusion, it started to become obvious how this was going to go. The British were fed up with South Carolina in particular, but the Carolinas as a whole. You know, the writing was on the wall that they wanted to get out of there. And so, you know, Marion's mission to defend South Carolina was, for the most part, it was over. So, like many of the area, it was time to rebuild. So, he ended up going home. And at the age of 54, he actually finally got married. Uh, you know, a little weird. Different times, I know. But married his 49-year-old cousin. And he commanded a peacetime militia brigade and would serve in the South Carolina Assembly. Now, a lot of British historians, uh, in particular Christopher Hibbert and Hugh Pacino, Pacino? I don't know how to say his name. I don't really care. They have often tried to disparage the Swamp Fox name and the Swamp Fox legend. Uh, and they say he is not an individual worth celebrating and have accused him of awful things. And sure, Francis Marion almost certainly did things that we today would rightfully condemn. I mean, the guy was, you know, he was a plantation owner. He owned slaves. He was involved in brutal combat during the Cherokee Wars. But, you know, I think you guys know me well enough to know that when I approach these episodes, I try to be as fair as possible. Yeah, I try to, you know, if there's some injustice or, you know, shady morality going on, I usually point it out. Uh, for example, Benjamin Cleveland in our Kings Mountain episode, I kind of tore him a new one because um, seems like a not great dude. Um, but the problem is that they've made claims that Francis Marion, you know, committed all sorts of atrocities, like brutally torturing prisoners, accused him of doing things to female slaves. Um, what's frustrating is, from what I can tell, there's no evidence backing these claims. And that ticks me off. As someone that cares about truth and history, um, it makes me mad. Especially, it's incredibly irresponsible to do, especially if you are um, a renowned historian, uh, in particular in Christopher Hibbert's case. You have a platform to talk about things that have occurred in the past, to be honest, and then you make unsubstantiated claims. And um, it, it's very frustrating. So as far as I'm concerned, the British really just need to learn how to take the massive L the massive L that they suffered that Francis Marion dished out to him, uh, just take it with dignity. You know, after all, Francis Marion, you know, like we talked about the tensions between the loyalists and the patriots, uh, especially in South Carolina. You would think that if Francis Marion was as horrible as they claimed, that he would um, you know, want the loyalists dealt with. You know, after all, they some of the things that they accused Francis Marion of doing involves civilians um, and especially loyalist soldiers. You think he'd want those guys out of the way or like shipped off. Francis Marion, using his political power 
actively opposed punishing Americans who had remained loyal to the British during the war. Um, I think that says a lot, and that is a fact. Uh, so, sorry, the, I don't know, it just it gets me heated. I don't claim to know everything. I go off the research I find, and I try to be open to uh, new evidence coming out, but it's hard to welcome new evidence when they're kind of just claims. Anyway, uh, rant over. I want to end this on a much more positive note. And I think that this is fitting as we go into Veterans Day because what I'm going to read to you is what is inscribed on a tombstone of Francis Marion. But I feel like this could be applied to many veterans and many soldiers that um, maybe some of you know. So without further ado, it says, Sacred to the memory of Brigadier General Francis Marion, who departed his life on the 27th of February, 1795, in the 63rd year of his age. Deeply regretted by all of his fellow citizens, history will record his worth. And rising generations embalm his memory as one of the most distinguished patriots and heroes of the American Revolution, which elevated his native country to honor and independence and secured to her the blessings of liberty and peace. This tribute of veneration and gratitude is erected in commemoration of the noble and disinterested virtues of the citizen and the gallant exploits of the soldier who lived without fear and died without reproach. And that has been part six of our series, Francis Marion, the old swamp fox himself. Sorry, I got a little heated there, but, uh, you know, history is something I feel passionate about. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if nothing else, this has been excellent to get my mind off of the um, abomination I watched on Amazon Prime tonight. Folks, make sure as we go into this Veterans Day weekend um, that if you know someone in your life who has served uh, and is still with us, to extend your gratitude to them and thank them for what they've done. Yeah, I think with that, that has been the gun rack. Oh, one last note. I totally meant to mention it in the beginning, so I'll just attach it on right now. Sorry again about last week uh, not having an episode. Me and Joey were planning on talking about Joey's time, his experience at uh, Recondo Operations Group. He went back there. Poor guy, the last like three weeks, he's had basically COVID-like symptoms, and he couldn't go two or three sentences without without you know having a coughing fit so uh, we certainly hope he gets feeling better gets on the men soon we'd love to have him back here on the podcast soon and we're really excited for that so in the meantime have fun stay safe and we will see you at the ring Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the DEAC. It is headquartered at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, 
visit sdi.edu.